Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to Cover Story by New Books Network, a podcast where we talk to people who write, edit, and publish long-form journalism. My name is Aga Popenda, and today we're talking with ProPublica investigative journalist Justin Elliott. Hi, Justin. How are you? Hey, good. Good to be here. Uh, Justin writes about business, economics, money, and influence in politics. He has produced stories for the New York Times and NPR. And his work on TurboTax Maker Intuit, the story that we will be discussing today, won an award for business journalism. And Justin, you've been, uh, you will be celebrating a decade at ProPublica next year, correct? Uh, yeah, that's right. I, I uh, joined in 2012. Right. And I would like to ask you, uh, could you tell us about your career before that and how you, how you got there, how you uh, get to uh, ProPublica? Sure. Um, I, I got into journalism uh, like a lot of people uh, in, in college, and I, I, I did a lot of work at the, the college newspaper um, instead, of, instead of doing my, my homework and, and focusing on classes. Um, and then I was actually in, intending this, this was, uh, in the kind of mid, mid two thousands, I was intending to, um, become a newspaper reporter. Uh, but you know, I, I sort of graduated at the, at the, um, kind of early stages of the decline of the, of the old print newspaper industry. Um, so I did, uh, work, uh, at newspapers a little bit, but, um, uh, really most of my early career, was uh, in online media. I was a fact checker at Mother Jones Magazine um, out in San Francisco, uh, and I also uh, wrote a little bit for the website. Um, and then I spent a couple of years at uh, a political website or kind of political blog called uh, Talking Points Memo, which is uh, a small company based in New York that uh, where I focused on um, reporting on political corruption and um, and politics more generally. Um, and then I spent a couple of years at uh, Salon, which was an old, um, uh, w- one of the first online media companies, uh, which has gone through a lot of changes over the years. Um, when, when I was there, I was uh, a, a politics reporter. Um, and uh, th- yeah, then I landed at ProPublica in, in 2012, um, originally uh, focusing on sort of money and politics and those kinds of issues. But uh, in the last five or six years, I've, I've uh, become more of a business reporter, although it's sometimes sometimes writing about kind of the intersection of, of business and politics, but I've, I've written about um, uh, antitrust issues and um, uh, various companies, in, including uh, in, Intuit, the tax prep company, as you mentioned. Um, so that's uh, that's the short version. Mm-hmm. And was it your intention to do uh, investigative journalism, or is it a coincidence? Uh, yeah, it, it was my intention. I, I think I, I sort of got hooked on on reporting more generally in college. Just the the uh, ha- having kind of a license to um, pick up the phone and and just call people and ask questions uh, was was sort of a, th- a thrilling discovery in college. Um, and and I did always sort of like the 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 digging aspects of, of reporting I think that there's um, uh, you know there, there's I think there tend to be reporters who are uh, more animated by the kind of love of reporting and there's some reporters who are more animated by love of writing um, and I, I've, I've kind of always been in the in the former category 
Um, so mm-hmm. I, I've, um, uh, I never really had like a, <clears throat> uh, specific goal or anything, but I'm, I'm happy where I ended up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you do produce long-form journalism, but you don't uh, act like a magazine writer. And one of the striking differences is uh, um, accessibility. You really want people to find you and contact you. And I was wondering um, about the consequences uh, of uh, being accessible to your sources and pretty much to everyone else. Um, that sounds stressful. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my, my phone number is uh, right out there on the internet, um, which uh, is, is something uh, I started doing um, at this point is probably six or seven, maybe eight years ago after uh, I spent a, a year or two uh, doing a series of stories about the American Red Cross, which is, you know, a big, uh, a big disaster relief nonprofit. Um, and that, that was a story where... Um, you, you had this organization with a huge number of employees and there was really no one else in the press writing about a, a bunch of problems uh, internally at the Red Cross and, and externally in terms of how effective they were at providing disaster relief. Um, and I, I realized during that project that it was, um, you know, the, the simple act of just sort of putting a line at the bottom of a story that says, look, this is what I'm interested in. Um, if, if you have information about this or if you want to, make comments or com- complain about what I've written, tell me something's wrong. Um, you know, here's my phone number and email. Um, and that, that turns out to be like, uh, somewhat surprisingly, um, a really powerful tool. I think maybe because a lot of people, um, who are not working in media would not necessarily reach out to a reporter unprompted. So even having that kind of little, um, note saying that we welcome that kind of thing or I, or I welcome that kind of thing um, is is really effective. Do you uh, ever pick up your phone and you regret that your cell phone is online and everybody can call you? <laughs> oh, yeah. All the, yeah, yeah. No, it de- that definitely happens. And I think that's just kind of a, it's kind of an occupational hazard. Um, but, uh, you know, n- nothing, nothing too, too terrible has happened yet. But awesome. I mean, as you say, I mean, the, the other, the, the other thing about the, the kind of reporting that that I do and a lot of my colleagues at ProPublica do is, you know, usually the subjects of our stories are not giving us access, even though on the one hand we want uh, potential sources and, and just our readers to be able to contact us. Usually the people and organizations that are the actual subjects of our stories are not inviting us to, you know, spend a day shadowing them in the way that you might, if you were, writing a profile of, of Bruce Springsteen or something like that. Um, right. And so it, that really affects the, the kind of stories you can write because you can't, it, it becomes more difficult to do, um, to do the kind of stories where you, where you uh, are spending a bunch of time with someone in intimate spaces and that kind of thing and can kind of describe what you're seeing. You can do that sometimes, but um, m- more often <clears throat> what you have to try to do is, uh, is is to kind of write around that th- those limits on on your access to your subject and 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 that's also one of the reasons why um, you know it's really important for us to to tell people out there that might know things about the subjects that we're writing about that we want to hear from them even even if we're not writing about those people. Um. 
Okay, let's talk a little bit uh, about how you guys work in uh, ProPublica and how those uh, stories or projects are being assigned. So the story of how 70% of Americans should be filing their taxes for free, but no one is actually really able to pull it off. You started to work on it uh, with another colleague as early as 2013. Uh, then you did a lot of work um, on IRS and uh, companies offering services like TurboTax in 2019, and you continued to press. So how those big projects um, that take sometimes many years are being assigned and monitored, how does it work? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it, it's somewhat organic. Uh, usually, usually the ideas bubble up from the reporters and then we, we kind of get a, a thumbs up or a thumbs down from from the editors. Uh, and if you get the if you get the thumbs up, then you, you go off and, and try to try to do the story. Um, in, in this particular case, actually, my, my former colleague, a, a woman named Liz Day, who now works at, at uh, The New York Times, um, was the one that that sort of originated this whole series for us, um, r- writing about uh, these tax prep companies, the, the biggest of which is is Intuit, which makes TurboTax, um, and kind of getting into why it is that so many Americans have to pay a private company in order to 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 perform this kind of basic act of citizenship of, of filing taxes. Um, and so Liz uh, wrote some early stories about this. I, I was involved in, in, in some of those going way back uh, to, yeah, as you said, I believe 2013. Um, but, but we really started to focus on this um, in, in 2019. And, and the way that it developed was, um, was a kind of, was fairly typical for, for how these projects begin, at least for me. Um, which was I, I was uh, preparing some stories, uh, actually about, n- not about this topic, but about about the Trump tax overhaul, the a mm-hmm. new tax law that was passed in in 2017. Um, and as I was doing that reporting, one of the people I was talking to um, flagged to me that uh, that Congress was about to to uh, pass a law that included language. Um, that would uh, ban the IRS, the the tax uh, agency, from um, creating its own uh, sort of free tax filing system for citizens of the country. Um, and so I decided because it was it was around the tax filing deadline. This was in the kind of late late winter, early spring of 2019, to do a quick story uh, flagging this legislation. And what happened was I, I we published that story like like you know. I, short story, like a thousand words, something like that. Um, and that, that was when the, the first source, um, uh, somebody that had worked at Intuit, um, started talking to me after seeing that story. Um, and, uh, some of the things that person told me, and then later things that other people told me, um, convinced me. And then my, my colleague, Paul Keel, who I worked with on this, um, that there was there was definitely a bigger story here, um, and so I, I dropped some of the other things I was working on related to the the Trump tax law and decided to focus on this. And then it was it, it was six or seven months later that we finally published um, our, our sort of long account of, of the whole uh, you know history of of how uh, tax prep came came to be how, how it is in the U.S. Um, and so it was really as is often the case with, with these things, um, it, it was really driven by uh, by sources and by the fact that people who were 
you know, pe- people who had interesting information who were troubled by things that they'd seen um, came forward. Uh, so it's really uh, b- very much driven by um, by sources and, and people who have a conscience, basically. Yeah. So going to the heart of the story, I'm one of the millions of Americans who every year plans to pay my taxes for, for free. And usually I lose patience. This year, I believe I paid my for my state return. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you mentioned this uh, mm, uh, this proposal to ban IRS from developing their own software. But uh, I, am I correct that there was also another deal about uh, 15, 20 years ago when initially IRS and tax companies uh, made an agreement who does what uh, and then uh, originally IRS was uh, banned from offering uh, uh, their uh, free service. Uh, could you tell us a bit about it? You know much more <laughs> about yeah, sure, it than absolutely. I do. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the, the kind of short version is that, uh, as you said, I mean, about 20 years ago, actually, during the George W. Bush administration, um, right in the period where personal computing and the internet was really, um, was taking off, uh, and it, it, it it was it was clear, you know, we're talking around the year two thousand two thousand one that you know everyone was going to have a computer, uh, even if they if, even if everyone didn't didn't have one yet or, or most people. Um, and uh, there was a proposal that actually came out of the, the Bush administration that said, "Hey, the the IRS has been you know for all these years people have been filing uh, paper tax returns and sending them into the IRS, and it's really inefficient for." Uh, you know, the IRS to be getting all this paper and processing it. So it obviously makes sense to do this by a computer. So the IRS should should develop its own free, uh, you know, electronic um, tax prep, uh, basically website. <laughs> um, and, and that should be available to Americans. And this is something that, you know, now many developed countries have. Um, and Intuit, which is the, the Silicon Valley company that, that makes TurboTax, was already uh, a big player at the, back then. TurboTax was was uh, not the website that most people use today, but instead it was like software that you'd buy on like a disc or a CD. Um, but it was already a big, really profitable business. So um, uh, what, what our investigation found, and, and we we got all kinds of internal documents from Intuit uh, laying this out, um, was that the company. Uh, basically, when this proposal from the Bush administration for the IRS to create its own system came out, you know, sirens started going off inside Intuit because they, they saw this as an existential th- threat, I think, correctly to this profitable TurboTax business. Um, so the company intervened in Washington, the kind of classic hiring, you know, uh, lobbyists doing a full court press with uh, local members of Congress and so on. Um, and Ultimately, successful, successfully, they put forward a counterproposal, and the counterproposal was to the IRS, hey, instead of you, the government, creating a, a free tax filing system that everyone can use, um, you, you don't worry about that, and we will enter into a public-private partnership uh, under which we, the tax prep industry, um, will create our own free tax prep option that will be available to most Americans. Um, and you don't have to worry about it, but in exchange, you have to promise to us that you will never create your own system that will be a sort of public competitor to TurboTax. 
Mm-hmm. So um, the federal government agreed to this, and this is basically the um, the regime that we're still living under. Um, and you know, when you first hear the description, it doesn't necessarily sound like uh, a terrible idea. Again, this is most Americans are actually eligible to use this free option. But what, what we found is that uh, the, the history of this of this public private partnership over the last twenty years has been Intuit and the rest of the industry um, taking deliberate steps to make sure that as few people as possible can actually find and use this free option. Um, so uh, very few people uh, find and use it every year, even though the majority of Americans are eligible because it's made so difficult to find and use. Um, and, and instead, uh, the, the companies led by Intuit you know, make uh, billions and billions of dollars uh, from fees uh, from people that actually are technically eligible to use this free version, but it has never uh, it has never been pro- properly marketed and, and put out there. Um, and so that's sort of the, the the short version of like the twenty year history that we were trying to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and since then, we had uh, a few administration, and I was wondering. Right now, we have a Biden administration. Don't we have a like champion in the for the cause in the Congress? Why this thing is not being fixed? <laughs> um, well, there are a few champions for for um, the U.S. Uh, to to cr- create a sort of public a, a free public option in Congress. I mean, Elizabeth Warren actually has, and, and Bernie Sanders have both mm-hmm. been on this for years, as well as other um, members of Congress. And also, it's worth noting that the United States is really an outlier in this respect. I mean, um, w- without getting too too much into the weeds about uh, the mechanics of taxes. Um, the IRS, if you have a normal job, um, an uncomplicated tax situation, which most people have, um, the IRS actually al- already has all the data that goes onto your tax return. So like when ProPublica pays me a salary, um, they are separately sending the IRS information saying we're paying Justin this much money. Um, and so how it works in many developed countries is the tax collection agency takes this data that they already have. Um, and essentially just fills out your tax form for you, uh, you look it over um, and just say, essentially, like, click yes, if you're okay with this. Um, th- that's sometimes called like a return free system. So that, that would be an even further step to making things easier for, for most people. Um, you know, the reason, uh, w- well, first of all, the Biden administration hasn't really said anything about about this issue, as far as I know, they, they have... Um, uh, actually proposed a significant increase to the IRS budget, but so far that's mostly been focused on um, increasing audit rates and enforcement, which is something that uh, has also um, so, sort of fallen off in, in recent years uh, under budget cuts. Um, but look, it, I, I think it's a classic case where you have, um, uh, if the government took steps to make this easier and free for, for more people, uh, it's a classic situation where it, it would create distributed benefits to many people, but concentrated harm to this industry and particularly into it. Um, and so the industry has a huge incentive to, uh, you know, spend, uh, spend huge amounts of money on lobbying and campaign donations, uh, to make sure that this never happens. And, and so far that has been quite effective for, for 20 years. Um, and I bet uh, for the story you talk with a bunch of people, including um, employers of all those uh, companies, but also uh, people from IRS. And I was wondering if you're being treated differently by, let's say, 
IRS public servants that are just simply underfunded, but are really great. And let's say those uh, capitalist sharks that probably don't want to talk to you. I was wondering how you've been um, treated when you reach out uh, to uh, to both. Yeah, well, it's interesting, actually. I mean, the, the IRS, uh, in, in my experience, um, writing about tax issues, both including this TurboTax issue and other uh, tax policy issues, the IRS actually almost never comments on anything. Um, and so uh, actually, uh, we got much more engagement from um, from Intuit uh, than the IRS. I mean, Intuit never uh, agreed to actually sit down for an interview. Like I was never able to um, have a kind of free flowing question and answer exchange with uh, an Intuit executive, but um, their, their spokesperson uh, was actually very responsive in, in sending me kind of written statements that we, you know, incorporate into the story, uh, into the, into the various stories we did. Um, the IRS uh, did not really speak to us. We actually, as part of this reporting, um, we, my colleague Paul Keel and I filed a series of uh, Freedom of Information Act requests to get re- records of interest to us from the IRS, and we ended up having to actually file a lawsuit. Um, our uh, our one of our attorneys at ProPublica, uh, Jeremy Kuttner, um, l- led that effort, and we successfully uh, got the IRS to release some documents showing how cozy the agency had become uh, with industry, which is another whole aspect of this. A lot there's a uh, a revolving door between hmm. people leaving the IRS and, and going to, you know, more highly compensated positions uh, at Intuit. Um, so, uh, you know, really the, the key sources for this story w- were really neither the IRS nor Intuit, but, but instead it was people uh, that current and former employees at Intuit and other uh, tax prep companies that were really the reason why we were able to do any of this. Um, again, people that generally speaking were, were troubled by some of the tactics the company was using, um, uh, and some of the positions it was taking around this, um, you know, frankly t- took risks in talking to us, uh, because they want to see, uh, this information get out there. Um, so that was really the, the foundation of, of mm-hmm. the stories. So in your work, you rely a lot on FOIAs. And I was wondering if, uh, you know, if agencies like IRS are potentially using the pandemic to slow things even more down. Um, uh, yeah, I wondered how, how the pandemic um, uh, affected your work. Uh, do, you, do you have to wait longer for things to get back to you? Um, yeah, you know, mo- most of this work I was doing pre-pandemic, thankfully. But mm-hmm. but look, even pre-pandemic, um, my my view of FOIA is is at least with many federal agencies that the the law is basically totally broken. It's been gutted through uh, kind of s- systematic underfunding. So I mean, I I literally have FOIA requests in with like the State Department that I filed like over ten years ago. Wow. Uh, like uh, so, um, I you know. There's there's sort of a spectrum of responsiveness among agencies, uh, and I, I think part of the fault, or perhaps most of the fault, is with Congress for not appropriating more money to actually um, uh, make sure the agencies can follow the law because the law is just consistently uh, violated. I mean, you're supposed to get um, 
you're supposed to get a substantive response within a few weeks, and it basically never happens at the federal level. Um, I've had much better luck actually with state state level public records laws. Um, as I was saying, I mean, we're lucky at ProPublica that we we have the resources to occasionally um, uh, file lawsuits, uh, you know, in federal court under the Freedom of Information Act, and and this was a case where we decided to do that, and that that does. Uh, tend to get the agency's attention and it did in this case work. Um, so uh, FOIA, unfortunately, is very frustrating, um, and, but, uh, you know, we, we still try to use it sometimes. Um, yeah. Um, so um, do you believe that with more funding, IRS and uh, could uh, resolve this problem for all of us? Uh, or do you think that we would need uh, Congress to act in order to, you know, for this 70% of Americans uh, to be able to file their taxes for free? You know, that's a great question. I, I think there are some steps that the IRS could take to, to better promote the existing program um, that, that would make a difference. Uh, I think that uh, sort of a, a more serious overhaul would probably re- require some sort of intervention by Congress. And it's totally unclear whether that will ever happen. Um, w- one thing that is happening uh, as a result of our stories is that there's a series of lawsuits have been filed, both uh, private lawsuits on behalf of uh, Americans that um, you know paid for tax prep that they should have gotten for free or that they were eligible to get for free. And then also actually uh, some, some lawsuits have been filed by uh, state actors, including the, the LA city attorney um, that, and, and these things take, uh, take a while. Um, so they're, uh, even though some of these actions started way back in 2019, they're still going on. Um, but, but there, there, there may be some kind of relief or settlements as a result of the, of, of the, the various litigation that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but right now, I mean, um, uh, I certainly haven't seen any indication that Congress is, is planning to get involved in this at the moment, but, um, you know, it's very hard to predict these things. Is there a state uh, in the U.S. that is taking care better of their taxpayers uh, in this regard uh, and making um, That's it- a very good question. You know, I'm, I'm actually I'm not an expert on the state level uh, taxes. I, I only know that in, in New York, where I live, uh, mm-hmm. it, the, it's a pain to fill out the, the state tax returns. Although, by the way, you can use, um, I, I guess we're, we're recording this a couple of days after the actual tax deadline, so maybe it doesn't matter anymore. But um, the, the free filing option uh, you should be able to use if you're under the income threshold uh, for eligibility, you should, should be able to use for both state and federal. Um, but uh, I, I'm, I'm not an expert on, on the state level system, so I, I don't have a great answer to that. Um, you wrote so many exciting stories about the treatment of Muslims in New York under Bloomberg, about congressional trips abroad, about NSA transparency, and as you mentioned, corporate takeover of the Red Cross. Um, would you be able to identify your uh, favorite and the least favorite stories? Uh, you know, anything uh, from funny to scary to just simply, you know, satisfying to you as a journalist? <laughs> Um, you mean the stories themselves or, or yeah. in the reporting process? Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think the, the most interesting stories for me in, in recent years have, have been uh, in, in the sort of business and economics realm. Um, my, my colleague and I, uh, Jesse Eisinger, who's a, 
a business reporter and editor at ProPublica, uh, d- did a, a story a couple of years, a few years ago, um, looking in, investigating this world of of academic economists who um, uh, have side gigs consulting um, on corporate merger cases. So, like, this is a an antitrust story, and basically, what these economists do is um, uh, create arguments for large companies that want to uh, convince the government to allow their mergers to go through and basically convince the government that this is not going to harm competition and harm consumers and the country. Um, and so it was, it was really, uh, you know, a, a privilege and, and quite interesting to, to have the time to, to delve into this kind of, uh, uh, obscure world that almost no one ever writes about of, of antitrust economists uh, that actually mm-hmm. have a big influence on uh, really everything in the country. Um, and so I, I think the, the best part about being a ProPublica reporter is, is just having um, having the time and, and support of the organization to, to uh, get into these areas that are uh, undercovered, but, but we think important and, and the time to really dig in and try to convince people to, uh, that's a good idea to talk to us to, in order to to get these stories out. Another tricky and fascinating story um, uh, was your reporting on media companies that were lobbying and probably still lobbying against transparency. Could you tell us about that? Sure. So th- this was actually way back in the mm-hmm. uh, 2012 um, political campaign cycle, and uh, the you know the, the details are are a bit wonky, but sure. basically. <laughs> Basically, there was an issue that 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 um, around uh, getting information on who was really behind um, political ads that you see on TV, um, and because of a, a series of uh, court cases and legal changes in recent years, um, it's be- you know first of all the the limits on how much money can be spent on these things have have basically been ab- uh, eradicated. Uh, but also it's become increasingly difficult to figure out who's actually putting up the money behind an ad when you see an ad for Joe Biden or Donald Trump, like who's actually paying for that. Um, right. or, and, and also in, in, in uh, state and local races. Um, and so there, uh, there was a kind of backdoor way to try to figure out who is behind these ads uh, because the people purchasing the ads had to make certain disclosures to TV stations. And so, we were, my, some of my colleagues and I had kind of latched onto that as a way to try to tell the public who, who was behind these ads. Um, and there were uh, some of the TV stations that were involved and the media companies that own them um, uh, wanted, uh, basically didn't want this disclosure regime to be uh, in place or wanted to limit access to it. And so we, we sort of spent much of 2012 uh, writing about that. Um, unfortunately, um, I think, if anything, the 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 terrain on on the campaign finance front in terms of transparency has probably gotten even worse so, since then. I also thought that you would be a perfect person to ask um, if uh, if Democrats pump as much dark money into politics as Republicans. I'm not sure if it's a fair question. So, um. Um, you know, I don't actually know the answer. My my guess is that uh, the I think it probably depends on the race you're looking at. I, yeah. I seem to recall that um, J- Joe Biden may have actually received more 
dark money, meaning money that uh, which we can't figure out the true provenance of than, than Donald Trump in 2020. I, I believe mm-hmm. that's the case. My, my guess is that generally speaking, there's more of it on the Republican side, but there might be some prominent exceptions to that. And, and certainly, uh, certainly you see it on both sides. I mean, I think there's just a class of kind of super rich donors, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, that um, if, if, if we collectively allow them the uh, option to uh, exert their influence anonymously, then they will, they will take that option. And that's, that, that's, that's how a lot of this works these days. Yeah. So you've mentioned that you are more driven by reporting than uh, by writing. And that was actually one of my questions. I was wondering, um, does the form in, in which you present your material matter to you and do you find pleasure in writing or would you easily be okay, like doing it over the radio, TV or any other form? <laughs> Well, um, I, I actually have uh, worked over the years with some radio reporters, uh, which has been re- really um, a really satisfying experience. Uh, there's an NPR investigative reporter named Laura Sullivan who who um, did the Red Cross stories with me, and the way the way we worked was that she produced the um, radio audio pieces. Um, and I simultaneously wrote print pieces, and then we sort of published them at the same, or, you know the print piece was published the same day as the radio piece was aired. Um, and so we sometimes do kind of cross media, uh, collaborations like that. Um, I, I enjoy, uh, I enjoy writing. I mean, it's satisfying to, to try to, um, uh, you know, present your findings on the page. Um, but as I said, it, it, at least for, for many of the stories I do, um, there, there are some limits to, to the, to the ways that you can write a story because, um, you know, for example, just to take the the Intuit story uh, about TurboTax. I mean, there are some interesting characters, executives at that company, the C, the current CEO of the company, the founder of the company, who uh, who was the CEO for many years. Who um, it would have been great to be able to, you know, fly out to California, sit down with them, interview them in person. You know, maybe even shadow them for a day or something like that, a few days, but, but they, they just, uh, would not agree to that when they once they understood sort of what we were, you know, what we were writing about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, that it does make it more difficult, not impossible, more difficult to have kind of, um, rich scenes, uh, you know, w- with in- involving those people, unless maybe there's a lawsuit or something, it, some way that you can, uh, find to, to sort of, uh, to, to fill out portraits of, of people you're writing about that don't involve actually talking to them, which is the way that it would work in most reporters. Mm, do you think that you are, uh, more or less excited about journalism, uh, now or 10 years ago when you were starting with ProPublica and also how your you know, views on the media evolved, uh, uh during this decade? Yeah, I mean, um, I, obviously, it's sort of uh, the industry is in sort of a constant state of change. But I, I guess the main thing I would say is that I I feel very lucky to to be at ProPublica, which um, is you know where I have the, the whole organization, including my editors, are are devoted to um, you know serious and and fair uh, investigative journalism, and we have the kind of time to to try to produce stories that are, um, 
that that are serious and in depth and and fair. Um, mm-hmm. So I, uh, it's um, it's a it's a great place to work. Um, and you know, we're obviously all hoping that the that the industry finds some uh, some kind of place of stability. Do you think that this formula uh, of nonprofit uh, that the ProPublica uses works? And do you think we're going to see more outlets like that? It's very hard for me to say. I try to I try to keep my head down and, and not <laughs> think about the, the business side of of of, uh, of media as much as possible. So I, I would uh, I'd hate to speculate. Yeah. Uh, it sounds that uh, uh, your job requires a lot of patience. Uh, um, yeah, uh, both with the sources and also with the FOIAs and a lot of waiting. Yeah. Um, Justin, thank you so much uh, for talking to us. Uh, uh, we were uh, talking with Justin Elliott for a cover story for New Books Network. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.